It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On your Tuesday episode of Locked On Raptors, trade them, extend them. Today, we dig into Pascal Siakam and all of the different stuff swirling around him as the trade deadline draws near and examine whether or not the Raptors should actually just hang on to their very good basketball player. We'll get to all that with Joe Wolfon. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Tuesday, January the 9th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for 10 seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on the website that don't work so good, but I'm more inclined to use these days because the Raptors are fun, at Woodley Sean. You can find the show on Instagram at Locked On Raptors, and of course, you can join us over on the Locked On Raptors Discord server, the actual best place to talk about your Toronto Raptors on the internet. And uh, sometimes we also get into really heated arguments about shawarma around the GTA, spawned by R.J. Barrett for some reason taking Emmanuel quickly to Osmos. That is the stuff you got going on in the Discord. The link is in the description. It's free to join. Would love to see you in there. Of course, you can find the show for free wherever you get your podcasts on the audio side of things. Follow, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, etc., etc. Always helps to boost us up the charts, boost my ego, all that good stuff. And of course, we are on YouTube as well. You can subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, and never miss an episode when it goes live, which is a perfect little tool for you everydayers out there. And all of you at this point should be everydayers because the Toronto Raptors are fun, baby. Uh, today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started and we will get started by bringing in our guest who is one of my favorite people to have on the show also one of the people who i bring on the show and then my bosses get mad because the show goes too long because we just can't stop talking hoop baby and uh i love it i i relish it very much every time we get joe wolf on from the score and pound the rock on the pod and today we're talking all about pascal siakam joe are you ready my man how are you i'm good yeah i'm ready i'm gonna I'm going to be pithy today. I don't want to get you Excellent. any more hot water with the with the bosses. <laughs> we'll be in and out in 35, a tight 35. We got it. We, we It's on record now. We'll see if we uh, get there. If it doesn't, look, this is a thing I'm really excited to talk to you about. So if it goes a little long, it goes a little long. And I think of all of the topics swirling around your Toronto Raptors these days, this is probably the topic that deserves the most real estate when it comes to uh, length of podcasts. So let's just dive in, man. Pascal Siakam, we all know the deal at this point, right? The trade deadline is 30 days away at this point, and his name is not going to be out of the rumor mill anytime soon, one would think. Uh, just to sort of lay out the situation as it stands right now, we know that Pascal Siakam is a pending unrestricted free agent. We've known this for a while. We've also known the Raptors can extend him anytime between now and I think July 1 uh, for a four-year, $192 million max. Uh, and that seems like from all the reporting that if that were to be offered, Pascal Siakam would gleefully take that. Uh, he's in his age 29 season. By the time that's, that contract comes to an end, he'll be at the end of his age 33 season, just have turned 34. 
it seems from all the reporting like Pascal wants to be in Toronto. All the reporting is that he doesn't want to go and re-sign with some team he gets traded to. That is, of course, uh, nuked his trade value a little bit and made it harder for the Raptors to find a suitable partner, one would think. And again, it, it just seems like he kind of wants to be here, which is a pretty cool thing. And if you had told me 20 years ago that the Toronto Raptors would have an all-NBA player who wants to be in Toronto, I would be jumping for joy because that's just not a thing that used to happen here. Um, we also know the Raptors want players in trades who can pair right now with Scotty Barnes. They don't seem interested in picks. The OG trades seem to telegraph that. We know Siakam's camp, again, is leaked that he's probably not going to resign with the team he gets traded to. We also know that Masai Ujiri has a history of on-again, off-again flirtation with moving on from beloved franchise stars, only to come back around and see the light when deals don't present themselves or better options don't present themselves, and then retaining them, case in point, Kyle Lowry. We know the Raptors uh, now have Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett, and the team is playing pretty darn well right now. So, Joe, uh, we will get into the cases for and against moving him at the deadline versus extending him. But just like your general broad strokes feelings on the pickle the Raptors seem to have found themselves in kind of by their own volition here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's throughout all this, throughout the last, I don't know what you want to call it, like six months, basically, since the offseason or eight months since like they the play-in game against the Bulls ended the way that it did. And uh, Josh Lewinberg had that piece reporting that basically after that game, the Raptors front office like cut off all communications with Siakam and his camp. And it was like radio silence throughout the summer, apart from the burblings that trades were in the works or being discussed. It just feels to me like not the best way to treat one of the best players in franchise history. No, even even if the plan is to move on from him not communicating that and essentially just sort of leaving him flapping in the breeze throughout the entire off season coming into camp, basically making it pretty clear that he wasn't part of the plans that he wasn't supposed to be here. You could read the tea leaves. They were not particularly difficult to read No, with the way that Darko was talking about the team, the players that he was talking about. I mean, like you couldn't get him to stop talking about precious Achua and how he was going to function in the offense. But you really had to pry to get him to even mention Pascal Siakam's name because I think we could all intuit that he wasn't hired to coach a team with Pascal Siakam on it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have to, you know, rehash all of the selfishness talk from media day like that's in the past. But those things were said. Those things were insinuated. And I think it was all just pretty clumsy. And in spite of all that, I don't I, I don't know what's in Pascal Siakam's head. I don't know how mm -hmm. he actually feels, whether he really does want to stay in Toronto long term or that's just sort of what he's saying because he feels like it's the best way to maintain his standing to get paid the maximum amount. I, I can't sure. say for sure. But what I can say is he has not come out and publicly voiced a single word of complaint from what I can tell about how all this has gone down. Mm -hmm. Whether that's like the contract talk, the way that he was de-emphasized in the offense in the early part of the season, that's obviously changed as time has gone on. But, I mean, he was not being treated in a manner befitting his stature as a two-time All-NBA player. And he's been a good soldier and just put his head down and tried to do what's been best for the team. And so I, I really appreciate him for that. Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's what I can say about where we are. I think he's not been treated especially well by the front office. And I think he has comported himself with a lot of professionalism and integrity 
in the face of all of this nonsense. He's also playing like extremely good basketball right now as well, right? Like he obviously has had to adapt to a different role, but he's done that kind of beautifully. And I think there's even more room for the sort of fit and the on-court stylings of this team to get even smoother with Pascal Siakam now that they've made this trade for Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett quickly being, I think, the guy who kind of unlocks a lot of the potential fit stuff that was an issue before. What have you made of Pascal's season so far? I've been trying to like line it up alongside some of his other years and obviously he's less of like a heliocentric guy than he was maybe a couple seasons back although he's averaging you know just as much in terms of playmaking and assists and all that stuff like he, he's just he's an assist machine he's a twos machine like he draws doubles he just is such a like he's playing his ass off it's awesome what have you made of his sort of progression throughout this season and how has his play so far this year maybe informed what you think about what the Raptors should do with him kind of in the big picture. Yeah, I, I think he's been awesome. Like really apart from the three point shooting, which is now starting to come around, Mm -hmm. it's been wonderful to see, but obviously he was languishing in like the low 20% uh, range early in the year. He's bumped that up to, I think almost 30% now, Mm -hmm. but apart from that, once they started you know, whether it was a concession that Darko made or him just coming to the realization that, hey, like this guy's pretty good at operating out of the post and even on sort of like mid post ISOs and things like that, maybe we should lean into that a little bit more. I I think he's been tremendous. And, you know, again, so take the three point shooting out of the equation. His two point scoring is basically back up to like championship season levels of efficiency. Mm -hmm. But on much higher volume and with a lot more of those two-point baskets being self-created. Yeah. So, you know, in in terms of like what he's able to do, like his footwork, his finishing, his touch, all that stuff, um, because he, you know, he's going to be able to cook most matchups in single coverage. And if you're throwing double teams at him, hard doubles, soft doubles, I think he's usually making the right read and the right pass out of those situations. And I think he's been operating really well in transition like all that stuff to me has looked fantastic I think you know the one thing you could point to as a real area of concern is the defensive decline and that's not just a this year problem like that's been kind of trending this way for a couple years and I I recently was just randomly kind of going back and looking through some of the clips I cut of his defense from like the bubble playoffs and then the Tampa season (laughs) yeah and it was jarring like it's just the, the level of of mojo um, of, of the impact of his rotations, like the bounce, just the general sort of defensive verve and activity was on a completely different level. And you'll still see him have kind of moments, quarters, even games where he approaches that level. But in general, it's, it's not there. Like he, he is not that same level of disruptor, not the same level of athlete, frankly, that he was, and I think at this point you'd say he's like maybe an average defender yeah, at his he can position. Kind of turn it up to above average when necessary, type of thing. Yeah, you know. So I think you could look at that and say, well, that's where the decline is hitting him. And how long is it before we start to see that decline at the offensive end? I, the encouraging thing is like obviously that physical decline is affecting him in some manner, and it hasn't really pulled down his overall offensive production. Because in place of the athleticism that powered a lot of his success early in his career, he now has this incredible craft 
Mm -hmm. Uh, And so maybe that gives you some optimism in the staying power of his star level scoring. But, you know, I think on the whole, he's having a really good year. And I think it's, it just feels too early to tell how he's going to fit with this roster now that they have competent guard play. And I think that's the thing that we need to be looking for and trying to figure out. And that's why, you know, like I'm not going to necessarily come down one way or the other, trade him, don't trade him, because I think it's entirely context dependent. Mm-hmm. But part of that context is how does he fit with this team now that quickly is here as presumably the lead guard of the future? Let's get a bigger sample on that before we make a decision one way or another. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I hear you there big time. He's uh he's a really good basketball player, man. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think, you know, you mentioned the decline, the you know, the defensive stuff. Man, 2019-20. He he made lineups with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, and Norman Powell at the one, two, three, viable in the playoffs against the Boston Celtics, uh, because he was that much of a force yeah. on the defensive end he's not him, that him anymore, and og both of course yes yes uh, man those are fun times uh <laughs> super small but super fun times we yeah. uh you know the decline obviously i think kind of plays into where we're going to go next which is the idea of moving on from pascal and why that might be the thing the raptors i mean it seems like it's the thing they want to do based on their actions so far uh why the argument could be made that that's the right thing to do we will get to that in just one second here Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Uh, Look, this time of year, it's a time of year for New Year's resolutions, and we get obsessed sometimes with changing ourselves instead of just expanding on the things that we're already doing right. And therapy can help you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that will really stick in your day-to-day life. You you put a lot of pressure on yourselves this time of year. Oh, I got to get back in shape. I got to go to the gym five times a week starting today. That's just not realistic for anybody. And therapy can help you find your motivations and find healthy ways to go about improving yourself if that's something you feel like you want to be doing. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. That's a big deal. Sometimes you don't click with someone right away. Maybe you want to switch it up and get someone who you do click with. You can do that and not be charged extra with BetterHelp. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Okay, continuing on here with Joel Wolfon from The Score and Pound the Rock for my money. The best NBA podcast there is, baby. If you uh, you know, want to listen to Joe in particular because he's just a, a rock star on that show. It's lovely. Go listen to Pound the Rock, okay? Um, all right, Joe. Let's uh, dive into the argument for moving on from Pascal Siakam. Again, seems telegraphed as the thing the Raptors front office would like to do. 
And yet there, I think, are some things lining up to suggest that maybe it's not the wise move for the Toronto Raptors at this time. Obviously, there's a few things at play here, right? There's the long-term money concerns. Oh, okay, can you have Pascal on his max deal? Can you also pay Emmanuel quickly? Scotty Barnes is going to get expensive in 18 months. Can you negotiate that? The short answer is, yes, you can. It gets challenging. But again, like we get so hung up on, uh, I, I'll, I'll steal a phrase from our pal Samson Folk, cap perversion, uh, <laughs> just like overanalyzing what the books look like years in advance. Things change, things evolve, and for me, you know, there are other ways to cut money from the roster. If you want to keep Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertl, R.J. Barrett, perhaps, if that's something that presents itself down the line. Like, th there are many different ways that you can make it work, and for me, with cap stuff, there, if there's a will, there's a way, is kind of how I look at this stuff. Maybe that's why I'm not a GM, but that's kind of where how I see this thing. Obviously, you have, like, the timeline concerns as well. You know, Pascal's seven or eight years older than Scotty Barnes. He's older than Emmanuel quickly by five years. He's, you know, obviously six years older than RJ Barrett. Timelines are a thing people get very, very persnickety about. And I understand it to an extent. Can you maximize these next few years of Scotty Barnes if you have Pascal Siakam in his early 30s playing on this max contract? Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into the trade market and why that seems to be a, a bit of a, a, a thing pushing against a deal here as well. But for you, like the timeline stuff, the money stuff, where does that sort of fall into you on like your tiers of concern regarding uh, Pascal Siakam and the idea of keeping him around long term? And, and are those compelling enough reasons to just say whatever deal you can get, move on here if you can? Yeah, so you have to take it into consideration for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's not it's not like baseball where there's no salary cap. And you can kind of just wave it away and say, it's not my money. Uh, I'm not going to count somebody else's dollars. Like that sports that, dead to me, uh, by the way, uh, you know, of course, to me dead to all of us. Years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to take a break. <laughs> um, so like, I think you do have to consider the impact of the cap hit, how it's going to limit uh, or just affect their ability to, you know, build out the roster to be flexible and dynamic moving forward. Like you have to consider that stuff for sure. Mm -hmm. I think what you got to be thinking about as you're considering it is like, you know, what, what is the alternative? Some of those alternatives are like going to be really difficult to see right now. Like mm -hmm. what options are going to be available to them? You know, whether it's via trade free agency two, three years down the road. Um, but look, they're building this around Scotty now. Right. And so mm -hmm. given that, I do think you have to think about, okay, so Pascal is going to be 30 this summer. If you're giving him, you know, a four year extension, it's going to run through, you know, his age 34 season when he's going to be making upwards of $50 million potentially. Um, now I think whatever the, the dollar amount is not what we should be focusing on, right? It's like percentage of the cap. So sure. uh, if he gets the full max, which I don't necessarily think he's going to get, or the, the, the Raptors wouldn't even necessarily have to give him, in order to to lock him up like this is another thing that is sort of hazy to me is that because the reporting has been that no conversations or no substantive conversations have even taken place it's not clear whether like it's a an all or nothing kind of thing where it's like give me the full boat or i'm going to free agency mm -hmm. now maybe substantive conversations haven't happened because pascal's camp has put it out there that that's the that's their stance. That's their hard Max line. Max or bust. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's why we're not, that's why the reporting is like, they haven't had these conversations, but I don't, I don't know. So let's just say that that's the situation. And that if the Raptors wanted to extend him right this second, it would have to be the full max, which is something in the range of like, you know, four years, 200 million. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to think about when Scotty is kind of entering his prime years, three years down the road. What does it mean to have a 33-year-old Pascal Siakam taking up 30 or more percent of the cap because of, you know, the 8% annual raises? Is the cap going to keep jumping by 10% a year? You know, so maybe it's like winds up being less than 30% of the cap. Maybe it winds up being more. Uh, These are things that you have to be thinking about for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're the sole consideration and something that would make me be like, you don't want to be paying 33-year-old Pascal Siakam $50 million when... Scotty is entering his prime years, and so best to move him now. But I think, again, those are worthwhile considerations and things you have to weigh against the other factors when making a decision. For sure. Um, I think for me, the reason it doesn't feel like this is not a team that's going to have like the Suns thing, right? Where it's all of these vets on like the biggest maxes they can make. Yes, the second apron is going to be like a massive concern for every team in the league. We're already seeing like the sort of fear of that, I think, gripping some teams as that encroaches six months from now with the new CBA kind of taking full hold on July 1. And so you got to consider it, obviously. I I guess I'm less worried about it because a scotty is going to be on like the rookie max extension which you know i I mean i guess if he makes like all nba next season that changes the calculus of that um you know i guess i'm betting against that happening next season we'll see you know it's hard to make all nba in the nba these days there's lots of very good players um you know emmanuel quickly i I don't think if he's like the third piece of your three-man trio of barnes siakam quickly like, this isn't going to be the Suns. Like I said, you're not going to have quickly making also a max, right? He's probably going to come in between 25 and 30 a year, it looks like. And so if we were dealing with a team that was loaded with those sort of more veteran-laden max extensions or max contracts, I think it would be more of a sort of, okay, like, we just can't justify this. I think because, in fact, the different timelines working here where the way the league works, if you're younger, you're going to make less money. I think that actually kind of, works in favor of working Siakam into the plans here. I'm really fascinated by the idea of him not getting the max as well and getting like, I don't know, what is it, like 4170 maybe with some like declining salaries year over year to kind of make yeah. the back end a little bit easier. Like that would be... Or like throw in some unlikely incentives to make, sure. the, to, to make the number look more like yeah. a win from his side, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, what was that? Like Kyle had that, right? Like the three-year hundred, but it was actually like three years 90 type of thing. Yeah, um, yeah like there's, there's totally that avenue that could happen here too. And I guess the question comes like, is there a team that's just going to give him the max in the summer if the Raptors don't do it, right? And... You know, the Sixers loom. Does he want to go play with Nick Nurse again? I don't know. I can't answer that question for him, but it didn't seem so hot the last couple of years. Uh, like the the Pacers obviously are going to loom large. We'll talk about the Pacers as a trade team. But um, like, do you think right now, looking at the landscape, looking at the teams that might have the space and the wherewithal, like, do you think Siakam does get the max from another team? And does that inform maybe what the Raptors could do here if they just simply came to the negotiating table? I think my instinct is to say no mm-hmm. because the Sixers feel like the only team that is going to be a competitive team that Pascal would want to sign with long-term that is also mm-hmm. going to have the space to do that. And I just don't know that it necessarily would behoove them 
to max him out. I don't, I don't think he's a bad fit there. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he's a great fit, um, but it's really like, I just come down to it being that team or no team in terms of like free agency max deal. And when I think about it in those terms, it just feels like the safer bet to bet against it. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I mean that like they are the kind of, I don't want to call them a stalking horse because I think they are like a real threat to potentially sign him away. But it's like if the Sixers weren't out there with potential max cap space this summer, I think the Raptors would actually be in a much better negotiating position right now. It really is right. just that one team that I feel like is hampering their leverage a little bit. Um, and also, you know, doesn't seem like doesn't seem like they want to like sign him regardless. <laughs> so maybe they're not even thinking about that. But in terms of their ability to potentially lock him up on like a sub max deal. I feel like maybe that's the one impediment to that is his camp being able to raise the specter of the mm-hmm. Sixers as a team that could sign him away. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, you have to be wary of that obviously. And at the end of the day, it's like that that's the danger of taking this into free agency. We saw that with Fred, right? I think the Raptors yep. probably had a lot of faith that if it came down to it, they'd be able to bring Fred back and it only takes one team, you know, Mm -hmm. to put a deal out there that a player can't refuse or that the team is not willing to match. And I I think they're probably going to want to avoid winding up in that situation with Pascal, which is probably why we're hearing all these trade rumblings. Now I think they're worried about winding up in that same situation. Yeah. It does feel like they hopefully have, maybe they haven't but it seems like they maybe learned from their mistake reading the market last year and it does feel like and look this is not intel this is just kind of reading tea leaves but it's either going to be he's moved by the deadline or extended by the deadline and you know they they kind of clear up that free agency question before it ever actually gets there Uh, we're going to get into the trade stuff we'll get into the reasons why the Raptors should simply maybe just look at extending Pascal Siakam which listeners of this podcast know that's the aisle I'm occupying Uh, we'll get to all that coming up in just one sec to close out the show today's show is brought to you by FanDuel the single best place for you to go put some money down if you are into sports wagering the NFL season is wrapping up the playoffs are very soon but there's still time to get it on the action with FanDuel America's number one sports book right now new customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet that's all you got to do is place a bet and you will get 150 bucks in bonus bets to go and use on FanDuel's site that's 150 bucks in bonus bets win or lose the app is super easy to use and there are lots of different ways to bet like live same game parlays you can find bets in the new explore tab and this is a thing i always recommend doing i recommended doing this with the raptors in the play-in game last year if you're someone who likes to wager on sports do the happiness hedge put a little money on your team to lose and if they lose you'll get a little money out of it so if you're a bills fan worrying that bills things are going to happen in the postseason put a little money on the team that they are playing and maybe you can uh, you know again there's a no no downside situation yes you'll be sad if the team loses but you'll have a little extra money to spend on snacks to comfort you or whatever it might be that uh, you use to soothe sports losses visit fanduel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup fanduel official partner of the nfl and of the locked on podcast network this is jake from locked on locked on has teamed up with state farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in nba history after beating the heat led by lebron james and Dwayne wade in 2011 dirk nowitzki won an nba title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. 
Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, rounding out the show here with Joe Wolfon from Pound the Rock and the Score. Uh, just a reminder, Locked On Sports Today 24-7 is our daily non-stop streaming channel where we have all of the Locked On national shows running in a continuous loop. I'm sure there'll be national championship talk today from the college side of things uh, and all the local shows covering the biggest stories as well. Go subscribe. Locked On Sports Today 24-7. All right, Joe. The trade stuff. Um, you know, this is going to be our lives for the next 30 days. It seems like the Kings, the Warriors, maybe the Pacers, like the Mavs, like these are the kind of teams that we're talking about. And as soon as we start talking about actual teams and trade partners, that's where I end up coming around to maybe they should just keep this guy because I'm having a hard time seeing a realistic trade coming together where the Raptors get a OG like return where they're getting legitimate pieces they can pair with Scotty Barnes and Emmanuel quickly now going forward. Um, I guess let's start it here. Like, Obviously, there's a price for everything. I even have a price, despite being a staunch Pascal Siakam aficionado and supporter. Uh, obviously, if the Atlanta Hawks were to come along and say, hey, here's Jalen Johnson, or the Sacramento Kings were to say, hey, here's Keegan Murray, I, of course, would have to take a second to contemplate and probably say, yeah, that's the right move for the Raptors to do. Yeah. But I, I just not happening. think Folks. that's realistic. Folks. Not yeah. happening. <laughs> not going to happen. I was on Locked on Kings. Today, if you want to go check out uh, how I crushed dreams of Kings fans hoping for a trade, um, you can listen to that with me and Matt George. But what's your read on the trade market here, Joe? Like, is there a team? Is there an offer that's kind of like swirling out there in the ether? No, nothing's like hard reported, obviously. It's all just kind of putting names in the trade machine that might make sense. But for you, what's the what's the threshold? You know, taking out Jalen Johnson and Keegan Murray, because I don't think those are realistic. Beyond that, is there a trade out there that's juicy enough for the Toronto Raptors in your eyes to say, you know what, you just got to make the move here and, and move on from a franchise icon in Pascal Siakam? I mean, the, the market's shit. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the biggest reason that I'm sort of pro keeping him, extending him is like, look, I... My feeling is that he is probably still going to be tradable on a, you know, a, even a max extension, but mm -hmm. a near max extension or a max extension, he'll be tradable down the line. And I also just think it's funny, like we've heard chatter that part of what's dissuading certain teams from wanting to trade for him, wanting to put real pieces on the table to get him is this concern that they're not going to be able to resign him, that he's putting it out there that he's not going to resign and that's the leverage that he has to control this situation. So as the Raptors, you could take care of that issue by just extending him yourself. Mm -hmm. And then a year down the road, if you decide it's not working and you still think trading him is the right way to go, you've answered that question for the teams that are maybe not interested right now because they're worried about keeping him long term. Mm -hmm. He will now, still make sense with Tyrese Halliburton two years from now. Exactly. And so, look, you, some people might say, 
he's going to have more value as a trade piece now than he would, you know, on a 40 to $50 million a year type of deal. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, but it seems like he has so little trade value right now that the difference would be kind of negligible anyway. Like, do we think Mm -hmm. he's going to wind up in the negative trade asset camp where it's like, you have to attach stuff just to get off of him. I certainly don't think so. No. So, and look, I understand why the market for him is tepid, you know, like not only is he on an expiring deal, but he's a tough guy to fit in a lot of places, especially if you're a team that's like already sort of on the fringes of contention, Mm -hmm. you probably already have one or two star level shot creators And if you're looking for a secondary or tertiary piece to put next to those guys, you know, Siakam, like OG was a better fit as that type of piece. I think that's why he got moved. He was the Kings guy, I think, if they were going to trade for a Raptor and have it make sense. You know, so that's that's the complication. And to me, it's like, you know, Siakam's a great test case in the idea of if you're adding a secondary or tertiary piece, how good does that guy have to be at everything else, if one of the things that he's not bringing to the table is spacing. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing there's just like not a huge appetite for that in spite of how good Pascal is at everything else. Now, if he was defending at like 2020 levels, maybe that'd be a different story. Um, But I think it's interesting because he is a really good off-ball player. He -hmm. is a really good complementary offensive player, a guy who's good at playing off of other stars as a second side attacker, as a guy who can attract a lot of defensive attention himself and make life easier on other star players in that way. But I think that, I guess, coupled with the the contract uncertainty is scaring a lot of teams off. And I'm looking around at some of the packages that have been rumored, and none of these guys are really moving me. And mm-hmm. that's why I end up circling back to, let's just extend them and see if the offers, see if A, the offers are any better like a year from now, or B, see if this thing could actually work with him and Scotty together, even though, yes, there are some skill redundancies, some positional overlap, some reasons why they're not the perfect fit, you know, on top of the timeline stuff. And like, Hey, maybe it would be nice to get a guy who's like, like for one thing, like a six shooter. And for another thing, like a, maybe a more versatile defender, somebody who can slot kind of on the wing in -hmm. between quickly and Barnes Keegan Murray would be a perfect piece. If mm-hmm. there was any chance that the Kings would move him <laughs> in this deal, I would be all for it. Yeah. But it's not going to happen. And I don't think there's anybody that comes close to rising to that level in terms of upside or fit that's been rumored to be out there as of now. Like, I think the Warriors possibility is interesting. Kaminga's not the guy that would really appeal to me in that circumstance, just because even though I do think there's some untapped upside there, like I don't love him as a fit. But mm-hmm. if like, one of or both of like Moody and Pajemski was on the table, then I would look hard at that for sure. I think that'd yeah. be super interesting. Same thing with the Pacers. If it's like, you know, a Matherin or a Nemhard, it's like, okay, like I could see it. And you're in a way banking on the growth potential there and the possibility of having a guy who's growing into a really, really nice complimentary player on a rookie scale deal. That is going to be super valuable if you're like trying to build on this Barnes timeline and optimize the roster two or three years from now. So look, I'm not saying that like there isn't a package out there that would make me happy that would work. 
I just don't feel like I've actually seen that package <laughs> reported as like a serious possibility mm-hmm. yet. On top of that, like the Raptors look really good, right? Quickly, <laughs> and so okay, you know the competition hasn't been fantastic, mm-hmm. but I think you are seeing the kind of theory of the case playing out in a way that should be very encouraging. And to me, yeah. like, I'll just spotlight one thing. And and I mentioned this on Twitter last night or a couple nights ago when they played the Warriors. But like, and I said this at the start of the season too, right? Because there is this, this sort of issue. I don't know if you want to call it an issue, but the situation is that the Raptors' two best scorers, two best offensive players are like-sized dudes who mm-hmm. operate in similar kinds of ways. And what what you need, I think, in order to facilitate success for those guys offensively is to have small guys screening for them to present the possibility of like creating mismatches, force the defense to make a tough decision, switch or don't switch, put two on the ball. And the the problem before they got quickly was that they didn't have a guard who was both a competent screener and a serious threat to shoot off of movement when like leaking out of those screens. Mm-hmm. So you had Dennis, who I think is a pretty good screener, but is not scaring anybody when he's flaring out. And you had Gary, who's not a very good screener and is like something of a threat when he's popping out of those screens, but like hasn't been shooting the ball especially well this season. And I don't think has been garnering like a ton of defensive attention and hasn't even been used that much as a screener anyway. Yeah. With quickly, I think you have a guy who's a very good screener and a very dangerous movement shooter. And you're already seeing how that's impacting the Raptors offense, right? Like when I, him and Pascal I, are running stuff together, it's breaking defenses already. Like yeah. it's been very instantaneous. So one of those things is like this play that the Nuggets popularized where you have, you know, your your big slashing forward at one elbow and your movement shooter, in their case, like Jamal Murray coming to set a back screen for that guy, in their case, Aaron Gordon, in the Raptors case, Pascal Siakam. Okay. And the threat of Gordon diving to the rim has some magnetism for the defense. That's creating a bit of a gap for Murray. And then he is just jetting up for a gut DHO that Jokic is handing off to him. And he has tons of options out of that. But one of them is to just like stop and pop and shoot a three. Mm -hmm. And so the Raptors who didn't really have anybody to run that play with before quickly got there have now run it a bunch of times with quickly and Pascal in sort of the Gordon role. And then you're seeing quickly also as like a flex screener in the the horns flex flex action that they like to run where they got a couple of buckets out of that against the Warriors. The first time two defenders went with Siakam quickly pops out and hits a three. The next time they're trying to fight through it. I think it was Kaminga tried to fight through the screen, but Pascal got a little bit a wiggle room and got close enough to the basket to hit a floater. That stuff. And, and we haven't even seen quickly really used as like a screener in inverted pick and roll much at all. And I think we'll start to yeah. see more of that. That's Especially like the bread and butter from like the Fred and Kyle era, right? Like exactly, exactly. And we, we yeah, like we've seen barely any of that so far, but I think that could very well become a staple, especially of the crunch time offense. Mm-hmm. So I think we're already seeing ways in which just having a guard like quickly can make things that much easier and more functional for Pascal within this offense. And, you know, it doesn't resolve all of the fit stuff between him and Barnes, but I, I just, again, think that like it would behoove the Raptors to see a little bit more of this before deciding unquestionably, no, our best path is like trading Pascal 
and getting somebody who ostensibly fits better on the timeline and in terms of like the on-court stuff. I just, I'm you not know, there what, yet. What is also helping, you know, massage the fit between Scotty and Pascal is Scotty becoming a high volume 38% three-point shooter who operates in all different areas of the floor. I kind of think the overlap stuff with them, it was true to an extent in the past. I don't think it's nearly to the degree that it used to be. And I, I think both guys are effective enough as off-ball players. And you just kind of zhuzh that whole thing up by adding quickly into the mix as well. That I think that trio, the interplay between them can be really, really awesome. And we've seen little flashes of it already. And I feel like they're just barely scratching the surface of how those three can work in tandem with one another. Um, yeah, that, that's, in, in the that's half court, yeah, like we haven't even talked about transition, right? But yeah, how, they're how well devastating in transition, man. Yeah, it's the 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 hit aheads to Pascal are bringing a tear to my eye, man. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's like throwing it back to his rookie season. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I think that that the fit between those three guys, I'm bullish enough on that it really is going to take a big package for me to think it's worth moving off of Pascal. I, I think you know the Pacers are really the only team. I don't think the Warriors, hey, the Warriors might just be too far gone to and like have too much other contractual stuff to sort out to really be serious for this. And it, it just it doesn't seem to line up all that well as much as Siakam and Curry would be uh, pretty damn sweet. I would be down to watch that for the next however many years. But it just feels like a tricky one to make work for a Warriors team that kind of stinks right now and has a lot of other stuff they're sorting through. The Pacers, like they have this sort of store of what, six, seven interesting young to youngish players that I feel like if you could get three of them, maybe there's enough there. Like Neesmith, I feel like is the guy that I look at, like he's got to be in the deal. I feel like he, that sort of perfect in between defender that you use the OG replacement. hundred percent. Um, He's the guy for me. I think, you know, one of Matherin or Nemhard probably. I feel like Jairus Walker is like the upside play has got to be in there beyond that. Like, I don't think two of those guys, Plus, whatever salary ballast you get back, you know, you're not probably not re-signing Buddy Heald if you get him in the deal. Um, Bruce Brown, you can have around for another year. He's got that weird sort of uh, bizarro contract that, you know, you can kind of play with, I suppose. But I, I don't count those guys as the long-term pieces here in the deal. It's the young guys. Two of those guys, like you're getting Nemhard and Walker. What are the odds that those guys are helping to bolster the next four years, five years of Scotty Barnes the way Pascal would if he's just on the team playing with two guys who he fits very well with? That's where I like... I don't see a world in which Andrew Nembhard becomes enough of a um, infusion of point guard play and talent and defense on a team that already has plenty of guard play all of a sudden. Like that's like, they're not starred for guards anymore. They actually have like a pretty nice four man guard rotation all of a sudden. It just, to me, it really is going to take a lot from the Pacers and the Pacers, like they could probably just bank on themselves being a team that can go sign them in the summer if they really, really want to do it. So they're probably not inclined to put all that stuff on the table, which is why I keep coming back to just extend the dude. He's a really good basketball player. There should also be some room for a little bit of sentimentality in these things. When a player is still very good, this isn't giving Kobe Bryant a parachute contract when he's not an effective player anymore. He's still a good basketball player. He's a year younger now than Kyle Lowry was when they signed him back in 2017. And he was a six foot point guard uh, with like coming off of a wrist injury, right? Like to me, the age stuff, I feel like he's going to age. We talked about the decline on defense. Yes, that's happened. But the craft and the playmaking and the guile that he has as an offensive player, I think that's going to age well. 
We're seeing players age more gracefully, just kind of in general into their early 30s. You know, maybe 34, 35 is the cutoff, but guess what? The deal will be over by then anyway. And so for me, I just don't see the package they're getting that infuses enough talent over the next few years to maximize Scotty Barnes's years four through eight. It, it, it just doesn't seem yeah. that realistic to me that they get enough back. There is an alternative path that we haven't discussed, though, which is because of Quickly's low, low cap hold, mm-hmm. if you just let pa- Pascal walk in free agency, maybe you know, get off of like a Boucher's contract or something like that. Like mm-hmm. Trent's also coming off of the books. The Raptors could open up a lot of cap space. For who? So that that is the potential alternative that should maybe be discussed is like, is that the best way to go about this? Is there, uh, you know, making a play for Malik Monk, you know, something like that? Um I I'm really not, like. You no, know, I'm not. I'm not going to get like two pie in the sky and like start talking about Paul George. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this, is the, uh, but... this is the Toronto Raptors we're talking about. Like th- this is the cap space thing falls kind of short for me because they are the Toronto Raptors. Oh, this is the first time for everything. Like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> the first time happened. It was Hito Turgaloo, and uh, I'm good. <laughs> well, the first time would be them actually signing like an impact free agent. Like as of now, I think Dennis Schroeder is maybe the best free agent they've ever signed. Right. Yeah, that's not Is an Mac Biombo maybe for a per dollar basis. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's slim pickings, man. <laughs> so that's why I guess that option isn't being discussed. But mm-hmm. look, I someone like Monk could be gettable and would be mm-hmm. awesome. Love that dude. Think he'd fit great. You know, imagine him in like Gary's spot. Be really nice. Mm-hmm. But at the cost, I feel like the Kings like losing... are gonna go nuts to keep him, though. I would think, yeah. considering, and at the cost of losing that. Pascal for nothing, I just don't know uh, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But I guess you can also, you know, finagle it so that if if the salary ballast coming back in a deal with like a couple of rookie scale youngsters is expiring money, you know, if it's Chris like Paul, uh, Buddy, yeah. if it's Buddy Healed, mm-hmm. and then that money is just coming off the books along with Trent's money, and then maybe you can also get off of like one of your medium sized salaries like Boucher or Pirtle, I guess, then you could you could get a couple prospects back and potentially still be looking at some cap space to work with in the summer. So mm-hmm. there, there the are cap space game is a dangerous, risky game that I think most teams that are not Miami or the Lakers or the Knicks should probably steer away from. And even those teams should maybe steer away from the cap space game in the era where free agency is kind of dead. And the best free agent on the market is the guy who is on your team right now. Um, you know, that's kind of where I come down on the on the cap space thing. But totally yeah, fair. man, it's, but, but I we'll thought see. it, it yeah. merited a mention at least. Yeah, fine, whatever. You're cutting into my agenda here, Joe. Unbelievable. I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I think uh, you know we've gone much longer than we uh, intended, but I think again, very much worth the time to dig into this one very deep. Do you have anything you want to promote for the good people out there, Joe? Before we wrap this one up, uh, nothing specifically. Like I write at the score uh so all my pieces go up on the app or the website uh and i tweet all of them out uh at joey underscore w and then you already plugged the podcast as you always do and i'm always very appreciative of the (laughs) kind words i don't want to you know set listeners expectations too high uh you know sean likes to say it's the best nba pod in the game and i'm not going to contradict him but i just also want people to be coming in with some realistic expectations and uh it's okay. I think it's okay. I do a pretty good <laughs> job. Uh, so pound the rock. Yeah, listen, subscribe if you're interested. 
and uh, that's all I got. Awesome, man. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks to you, the listeners, for hanging out for an extended episode here today. We'll be back again tomorrow talk about Raptors-Lakers. Of course, we got Raptors-Clippers later this week and some other stuff, fun stuff on tap as the week progresses as well that we keep you filled in on. Either way, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Subscribe, follow, rate, review, tell a friend. It's always appreciated when you do that. We're on YouTube as well. Subscribe over there. and We will talk to you again on Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Extend Pascal Siakam now. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.